Is it possible to bubble wrap your children? Good question. Listen today as we discuss how to trust God rather than ourselves and our plans for protection of our children. So we can wear ourselves out trying to protect them and shield them and do whatever we think we should or shouldn't do. But what we really need to do first is get on our knees every single day and pray for their salvation. Welcome to Unshaken. I'm your host, Julie Van Warmer. It's great to have you listening today. This podcast is to encourage us, you and I both, and any woman listening, that we can be unshaken, no matter our circumstances, because of Jesus Christ. Today's episode is episode 149, and it is called Fruitful Protection. Today, we'll jump onto the topic of how we can, or even should we, be protecting our kids from the things that are around them. We're going to hear from veteran mom Adrian McClavick on this topic that was shared at one of our mom-to-mom meetings all the way back in 2022, and I know her wisdom is great and her application is so very helpful. So let's get at it. Okay, so I was raised mainly in the 70s. Some in the 80s, I graduated from high school in 85, but really my childhood memories are pretty much from the 70s. And I grew up in Idaho, and at that time, kindergarten was not mandatory in Idaho, so schools didn't offer it. But my parents did the responsible thing, and they sent us to kindergarten, and my sister, um, you know, there's no school buses or anything because it wasn't part of the school. So my mom would take my sister to and from kindergarten every day, And she would often leave me at home while she did this. I was four years old. (laughs) Um, Okay, so a couple years after that, we bought a new car. And I remember distinctly my parents debating whether they should get this newfangled option with a car called a (laughs) seatbelt. And they eventually did decide to go for that option and pay extra for it. Um, But we didn't always use the seatbelts, you know, like if you were going someplace where you knew there was traffic or something, you might, yeah, it's slipping down a lot. Thank you. Um, So I was on the track team starting in junior high, and my parents always, you know, they would just expect me to walk home from track practice, which is fine, and I never really thought anything of it. It was about, oh, probably about a 40-minute walk, and a good section of the walk was on a street that you would uh, compare maybe to a Lexus or Monroe, except there were no sidewalks. And it never really occurred to me to ask my mom for a ride. And honestly, I don't remember my mom driving me anywhere when I was a kid. <laughs> like, you know, if I, just, if I wanted to go somewhere, I would walk or I would take my bike. And I have to add here that I had really good parents and I had a very happy childhood. But I think half of what they did today would probably get a call from child services or something. (laughs) But it was just how things were, times were different. Um, But I'm not raising my kids the way that I was raised. And you probably are not maybe raising your kids exactly how you were raised. And today's conscientious parent is much more likely to be a helicopter mom or a snowplow mom, which we'll talk about that in a minute. And part of our job as parents is to protect our kids. But 
even though this is a super important part, how do we protect our kids in a way that still allows them freedom and doesn't hinder their growth? And we want to mother, not smother, right? So this is kind of what I'm talking about today. It's kind of warm up here. Um, so as we have this discussion about what proper protection looks like, um, I think we need to start this discussion by considering what, what our goal as parents should be. Okay, and if we take our cues from the world, we would say, oh, you know, we want them to, you know, get really good grades and, you know, hopefully get maybe a sports scholarship to college, that would be awesome, and then get a really good paying job, and don't take too many risks, make me proud in various ways. You know, those are sort of the things that the world says are important. And I'm not saying that any of those things are necessarily wrong, but as Christian parents, those should not be the goals that drive us. Okay, my goal as a Christian mom is to raise children who will love and follow the Lord. That's my primary goal. And their eternity is vastly more important to me than their ACT scores. Vastly. And I could have a child who grew up and was wildly successful in the world's eyes, but if they didn't love and follow the world, I would honestly consider them a failure. So this goal of raising children who will love and follow the Lord really becomes the driving point in my decisions as I parent. And as I consider which actions to take in protecting my child or not protecting my child, the question I ask myself is this. Does doing things this way lead my child to be a Christ follower? Or does doing things this way hinder my child in becoming a Christ follower? And that's the essential question. Does it help in the relationship with Christ or does it hinder? <clears throat> and I think John 17, 15 is an extremely helpful framework in making those decisions. And that's the verse that I would um, be referring to this morning. And Jesus is speaking to his father about his disciples in this verse. And he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So Jesus makes two points here. The first is that we are to live in the world. We're not to be removed from it. And the second is to ask for protection from evil. And so I see in there that there are things that we are to protect our children from, and there are things that we are not to protect our children from. So let's look at the first part of that prayer. We are to be in the world. And let's be honest, the world is really a troubling and scary place. And it probably always has been, but I feel like there's been an exponential rush, even in the last five years, towards evil. And, you know, I, I look at, you know, junior high students are texting naked pictures of themselves to each other, and there's, you know, social media campaigns, shout your abortion, made, you know, just to normalize abortion. Um, declaring that marriage should between, be between a man and a woman is now considered hate speech, and I see that escalating. Um, and even in junior high, my kids go to school with some kids that I've known since they were you know, <coughs> kindergarten, who now have decided to become a different gender, and you know that that decision is applauded, and you know 
it's great, you're brave, all these sort of things. And, you know, the reality is, if you don't teach your child to love the Lord, the world will teach him not to. And yet Jesus did not ask his father to take us out of the world. He, he wants us to be living here. And God certainly doesn't look at the world today and say, oh, no, wring his hands. This is so out of control. I don't know what to do. You know, God is knowing what is happening in our world, and he has his people in it. So as moms, there are a couple ways that we can respond to this moral murky sludge that we live in. And one is to be a helicopter mom. And I know this is kind of an overused term at this point, but it really is pretty relevant if you think of what a helicopter does. You know, it like, you know, it doesn't have to. Um, so helicopter parents really hover and micromanage every detail of their kids' lives. And I think that their motivation for doing this is usually fear. And they observe every morsel that enters their child's body. They monitor their child's every move. They keep a close eye on every scrap of homework. They hold their kids close to them because they're very um, anxious about the big bad world. And often they're obsessive about safety. I know two kids, two boys that my children went to school with who they didn't learn how to ride a bike. And it wasn't because they lived somewhere where there was no opportunity to ride a bike or they didn't have money to buy a bike. It was, um, their parents were very fearful, fearful. And one of the boys eventually in the eighth grade learned how to ride a bike. And then the other one graduated with one of my sons last year. And I don't think he ever learned. And his mother is super anxious about everything and she's really kind of passed that on to her son. And helicopter parents need to keep their kids close. Um, the schools that my kids go to a couple years ago actually had to send out an email to all the parents asking that they would please use school transportation because so many parents were driving their kids to school and picking them up for school that there was actually like these gridlock traffic jams that would happen in the parking lot where no one could move. And, you know, it was just, please, there's buses who are waiting to take your children, please let them go. And sometimes we get so many parents who sign up to be chaperones on field trips that the ratio kind of ends up being that each parent just kind of brings his kid around the zoo. <laughs> and you might look at that and say, well, it's good that all these parents are so involved, and it is good that the parents are involved. And I'm not saying you should never drive your kids to school or you should never chaperone a field trip. I do those things sometimes. But... Um, I've observed that really this motivation from fear would tell them that their kids are not well supervised on the bus like they are in class or, you know, their kid might get lost in the zoo and not really considering that maybe their child would have a good experience exploring the world around them at the zoo without their parent, like, monitoring everything that they do. Um, so really, by constantly hovering, these parents are stifling their children's growth and their independence and their decision-making and operating out of fear. Really, what that's saying is, I don't trust God to take care of my kids. And it's really this sort of idea that, that if, as a helicopter mom, I need to do all the work in protecting my children. God really, I don't know, is he not watching? He's maybe, you know, distracted or something. I need to do it all. And that's, that's a burdensome place to be, both for the child and also for the mother and her faith. 
And helicopter parents are also very concerned about the influences that would be um, influencing their children. And I, I have two things to say about bad influences. And the first I'm going to explain by telling you a story about one of my sons, Isaac. And I did get his permission to tell this story. So Isaac is number three. And my first two kids were not hitters. They did not hit people or each other. Um, they didn't react in anger by hitting. So no, I, I had, as I parented, I was very deliberate about certain things. Like we did not have um, no TV in the home, no video games. You know, I demonstrated firm yet loving discipline and I wouldn't have admitted it, but I really thought that the reason my first two kids weren't hitters was because of my superior parenting techniques, clearly. <laughs> and so I would look at other kids who went around whacking each other and I would think to myself smugly, hmm, certainly their parents are failing in some significant way at home. <laughs> then I had my third child, Isaac, and you probably see where this is going. Same parenting techniques, no TV in the home, no video games, firm yet loving discipline. One day we were at Once Upon a Child shopping, and Isaac was probably around two. And I was looking through the shoe bins, and I hear this woman exclaim in this loud and sort of indignant voice, that's not nice. And I thought to my smug self, hmm, I wonder what child is out of control. <laughs> and I turned around, and apparently Isaac had gone up to this, her little girl, completely unprovoked, and whacked her. <laughs> Now, um, this was the beginning of a much needed humbling on my part. Isaac was a hitter, and he didn't hit me. He understood that was a line that couldn't be crossed. But despite constantly disciplining him for it, he hit his older siblings. He hit kids in the church nursery. When we brought his baby brother home from the hospital, I didn't dare leave Isaac alone with him because just kind of out of curiosity, he'd be like, what would happen if I pushed the baby's nose really hard? And I, I, he didn't get away with these things, but he just had an insatiable desire and curiosity. And honestly, he was just kind of mean. So I tell this sordid little tale to make a point. Incidentally, he's now a fine young man and loves the Lord and doesn't hit anybody as far as I know. You can do your very best to control outside influences on your child. But even if you somehow could put him in or her in a box and control every aspect of their life completely, he or she is going to be a sinner. If you have a child older than six months right now, you would have to admit that you don't have to teach them to disobey, right? They naturally have temper fits, they naturally are jealous and selfish and self-centered and angry. And scripture, of course, supports that idea in many places, but the most common one is probably Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, all of them. So that little innocent baby in your arms right now, if you have one, really not so innocent, very sweet, but he or she is naturally sinful and it will not take long for that sin to become apparent. And we need to train those things out of them. And while we do need to protect our ch children from certain things, we can't blame all their behavior on outside influences. Our starting point must be that 
our children need Christ. Everything has to flow from that fact. They are sinners, they need Christ. They are sinners, they need Christ. So when you consider what you need to protect your child from, keep in mind that he does not need outside bad influences to make bad decisions. And if you find yourself making excuses for their behavior, oh, some, someone must have influenced them to act this way, or she's tired, or she's fighting a cold, or he just doesn't understand, are you addressing the sin factor in your child's behavior? And if you don't address the fact that he's a sinner, it's really going to be very hard to have a good outcome in the end because you can wear yourself out being a helicopter mom and trying to control and protect your child from all negative influences that might come his way, but you really need to start by disciplining the inside influences. I knew a girl not long ago who was causing a lot of drama among other girls her age. Just lots of nastiness and gossip, really kind of ugliness. And I was friends with her parents, so I finally, you know, lovingly, I thought, brought up the situation to them, and they were very insistent that she couldn't possibly be doing those things. And I explained, well, she, she is doing these things. And their response was, well, she must be under the influence of someone else because she would never do this. And she was really quite clearly the ringleader in it. And I didn't push it at that point. But I, I can't say that I you know, really hold out a lot of hope for her in the long run because her parents are unwilling to deal with her sin. And they just want to you know, blame outside things. And the other thing I have to say about protecting your child from outside influences is somewhat, I think, could be somewhat controversial. So you might actually disagree with what I'm about to say very much, and that's okay. There are a lot of different ways to parent. So if I'm saying the things that I'm about to say and you're like little hairs on the back of your neck start to prickle up, just take it as one point of view and consider it, okay? Um, my idea is that protecting your child from things that you're scared will have a negative influence on them is really not always helpful. And I'm going to tell you two more stories to understand where I'm coming from. Protecting them from negative influences is not always helpful. At our first year of Mom to Mom, so this is going back a number of years now, I was at a table with a lady who came for a few times and she was very delightful. And she had a teenage daughter and she said numerous times she was, you know, her teenage daughter was so discerning. And I thought, that's great. I'm, you know, I'm really happy for her. But then as she was sharing stories about the daughter, this was one of the stories that she shared. And, and she said her daughter was a real reader. And before she was allowed to read anything, the mom read the books to make sure that there were no negative influences in the book that the daughter might read. And I thought, oh, OK, this daughter was a teenager. And I was struck by it because she was very proud at how discerning her teenage daughter was. But she was really robbing her of the opportunity to develop discernment by doing that for her. And how much better would it have been if her mom had purposeful conversations with her daughter about what sort of books make good books? What sort of things would please the Lord? What sort of things would be unpleasing to the Lord in a book and be distasteful? And 
if the daughter was able to choose books that would be interesting to her, and if she came across something objectionable, she'd be able to identify that and come to her mother and say, um, you know, this book is kind of inappropriate. I don't feel like I want to read it. That would be, you know, I think a good pattern of things to happen because this girl is going to reach adulthood not very long from now, and she's going to be able to read whatever she wants. She's going to be able to watch whatever she wants, and she won't necessarily have been prepared for that very well because her mom just wanted to protect her and shield her from all possible negative influences. Okay, the second story. My kids go to public school, and they've been in public school continuously. I've had kids there since 1997, and my youngest is 11, so I'm going to be there for like 30 years, right? And I um, have a Christian friend right now whose who's kids kind of parallel some of my children. And very regularly, she will send me an email saying, okay, this is going to be taught in their science class, or they're going to read this book in English, and this is what's in it. Sometimes it's an evolution unit in science. Um, recently, it was a book that contained some bad language, and one of the main characters committed suicide. And her response, whenever these things are taught, is to remove her kids from the class. And Sylvania teachers are, they do this. If this happens, they're, they're able to go to the library during the class period when this is being taught. And sometimes they'll be given like an alternative assignment or something. But um, I don't have the same response to that situation as my Christian friend. Do I like those things? No, I do not. Do we live in a world where those things happen? Indeed we do. So my approach is that I want my kids to be experts in evolution. I want them to know everything there is to know about it so they can understand what's wrong about it and can defend the Christian truth of creation. And so this obviously needs to be paired with good biblical teaching about what's right. You can't just throw them into turbulent waters without a life vest and think they'll be able to swim just because you know how to swim. And the life vest, the protection, is good biblical teaching. And I'm not here to tell you exactly how that needs to take place. Different ways are going to work differently for different families. And if I said, to fill up your children with good biblical knowledge, you must gather every night about the family hearth and have your husband lead them in family devotions, or you'll be a failure and your kids will grow up to worship Satan. And that would be a lie, clearly. You might do that, your family might do that, and that's great. But there are many other ways that that might look. And maybe you yourself might be new to the Bible, and you might think, how am I supposed to teach my kids about the Bible? And I would say, teach them along with you. If it's new for you, start reading together in the Gospels, stories about Jesus. Get to know Jesus by reading about his life in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and read it to your kids. Those stories are page turners. Kids generally really like to listen to them. But if, I, if you say, you know, yes, you know, this is, I want to be a Christian mom, I would ask, if someone came into your home, would they immediately see that Christ is your priority in your home? Not because you have Bible verses stenciled on your walls, which you might have, um, but because your conversations 
and your family calendar and how you spend your time and your priorities and just the air that you breathe is one where Christ is at the center. And are you filling them up with truth so that they can spot the counterfeit when they see it? And if not, what changes do you need to make to make that a reality? And when my kids are faced with worldly teaching that opposes biblical truth, my experience is that they don't say, hey, I'm gonna throw aside what the Bible says and what my parents have taught me and what my Sunday school teachers have taught me and what my Awana leaders have taught me and what my youth group leaders have taught me and I'm just gonna just believe what this teacher over here is, is teaching me or what this book is. I'm you know, gonna toss all those things aside. Their response has been, that's not right. That's not true. And this is true from the youngest ones up through the older ones. And interestingly, this is true even for the kids that I would say I do not yet have assurance of their salvation. Their response is, that's dumb. You know, so um, if, well, very often also my kids have had the opportunity to be the voice of Christianity in their classrooms. And really, all six of them have taken on that role at various times to speak truth. And if I yank them out of class to protect them from the bad influence of whatever, those opportunities would be gone. And maybe your kids aren't in school. Maybe it's the neighborhood kids, or maybe you know it's family members. And um, but I think it's important to learn to be Christ followers by being in those situations. And like John 17 states, they're not being taken out of the world, they're in it, and they're learning to deal with ungodliness while they're still in our home. So we can have conversations about things and help them guide, you know, guide them through those situations while they're still under my husband and I. So in talking how to protect our kids, we've talked about the outside influences and the inside influences, and we've talked about how Helicopter moms often operate out of fear and sort of a lack of trust in the Lord. And I want to spend just a moment talking about a newer term that was coined during the college admission scandal a couple years ago, the snowplow mom. And the snowplow moms have a different twist on protection, and they push obstacles out of the way for their kids. So the kids don't have to deal with hardships or frustrations, and they want to remove any pain or difficulties out of the path of their child so their child can succeed. This can happen on a big stage or even in little things. I, I had a backyard Bible club at my house for many years and whenever kids would bring guests, I would give them a little prize. And so this little kindergartner came and he didn't get, a, he got really upset because he didn't get the prize and I was you know I felt kind of bad but it was I couldn't give it to him because he hadn't brought a friend you know and I can't do that because everyone would want one then and so later in the afternoon his mom called me and said can I just come by and pick up one of those prizes because he's just so upset <laughs> and I didn't argue and I thought oh okay sure here's here and now six years later I can kind of see where that has been a frequent path that um, the mom has taken and there's you know there's fruit that comes from just removing obstacles and kind of giving in it all you know happiness happiness I want my kid to be happy all the time so I'm gonna read a list of questions and if you if you regularly do these things I'm not saying you know there might be an occasion where something like this has to happen but I'm saying if this is 
your general tendency to do what these things here, you might be a snowplow mom. Have you contacted other parents about their child's poor treatment of your child? Have you argued with a ref about a bad call? Have you spoken with a coach about how much time, playing time your child gets? Have you contacted a teacher about how much homework your child has? Have you contacted a teacher about a grade that your child received? Have you done your, your child's schoolwork for them? Have you tried to protect your kids from being bored by offering endless entertainment? Have you catered to overly picky food choices? Have you argued with another adult about how they are misinterpreting your kid's behavior? Have you not required your kids to do chores around the house? Have you softened discipline or consequences that your husband has imposed on your child? By swooping in at the first sign of trouble, we're not helping our kids be Christ followers. Think about a time in your life that you really grew spiritually. I would wager that it probably happened during a time of testing and trial. Probably not when everything was peachy king and smooth sailing. We actually should want our kids to suffer a little bit. We want them to feel the consequences of their actions. Even if it's hard for us to watch, they need to feel the consequences of their actions. And we want them to learn to turn to God in their frustration and in their heartache, not to protect them from all the situations that would cause frustration and heartache. How will they learn to trust in the Lord if you just try to protect them from all the situations where they need to learn trust? And it is hard to see your child suffer. It takes faith, but sometimes a bit of suffering is the very thing that God will use to draw your child to himself. So we've talked about the first part of John 17, 15, where Jesus says we're to be in the world. And in the time we have remaining, I want to touch on the second part of the verse, where Jesus prays to protect us from the evil one. Because while we do want our kids to grow up to be discerning and also resilient, there are clear dangers that we need to strive to protect them from. We have a responsibility to protect our kids from abuse of various types. And this includes having our eyes wide open about the potential for sexual abuse. And we need to teach our kids the proper words for things. Like if we say, you know, your privates are called a yingling or a whatever, <laughs> it's gonna be if, you know, difficult for a four-year-old to communicate to another adult, perhaps, if they're being touched inappropriately. Um, be wise and don't allow scenarios to develop that could lead to sin. For example, I have a 17 year age gap between our oldest and youngest child. So I did not expect my 17 year old son to change his baby sister's diapers. And now I have grandchildren and also teenage sons and I don't ask my teenage sons to help my little granddaughters in the bathroom or to give them a bath. Like that is for their protection as well as my grandchildren's protection. It's just not wise. While they're young, with rare exceptions, we didn't allow sleepovers with friends. 
Um, we feel there's no reason for children to play behind locked doors. We don't walk around the house in various stages of undress. <laughs> um, we teach our kids by age seven what God's plan for sex is. And if you homeschool, you may have more time to do that in. Because our kids are in school, our goal was always to, to teach them before they heard from someplace else. <laughs> and also, um, my experience is if you, if you lay out for them at a young age what the biblical view is, um, and continue talking about it after that as something normal, they're not as horrified by it. <laughs> you know, because it's just sort of matter of fact, you know, they'll listen, different reactions from different kids, but most of them were like, oh, oh, interesting. Can I go play with Legos now? <laughs> you know, they weren't agonizing over it. <laughs> One of them was a little slow though, and, and my husband had to write like a diagram. <laughs> I was so glad he was, he was a son. I didn't have to deal with that. <laughs> I will not tell you which one it was. <laughs> so what else should we protect our children from? We need to protect our kids from the internet. And I'm sure all of you are doing an internal nod right now, but I don't know, do you all know that the average age now for beginning to look at pornography is 10? And it's not just boys. It's boys and girls who are vulnerable for this. Know what your kids are doing online. Don't assume that because you've got good kids, they're not gonna be tempted in this way. They don't have to go looking for it. It will come and find them. And my first very eye-awakening experience of this was back, I mean, it may have been like, it was so long ago because it was in the beginning of the internet. And I was writing an article about older moms becoming moms for the first time for like a local publication and so all I did was type into the internet older moms and this pornographic horrible stuff popped up on my screen and that was a real eye-opener for me because like your children can just be innocently looking something up and you know it's there on the screen and just out of curiosity there could be a click on those things so my suggestion is password protect your computers and your devices. And do not allow the internet behind closed doors. Even our teenagers, they just, they're not allowed to have their phones in their bedrooms. It's just, you know, and we wait, we don't give little kids phones. <laughs> um, and your kids, if they go to school, they will tell you that every kid in their grade has one. And it's probably true. But that doesn't mean they need one. <laughs> you know, you just need to discuss and decide what that is at appropriate time, but then, it's not a free-for-all, you know, once they have one. It's something that, you know, we really have to be vigilant about. Um, I would recommend investing in a monitoring system like Covenant Eyes. But even if you do, don't trust in that. You still have to be vigilant in terms of talking about purity with your children, holding them accountable for what they're doing online. And also, as parents, we need to stay up on social media trends. So you know that TikTok is not something a clock does. But soon, there will be a new social media trend, and you'll need to not ignore it. What is captivating your child's attention? If you have babies and toddlers, don't be tempted to use your phone or iPad as a babysitter. 
Babies as young as a few months old can be very captivated by the lights and the colors and the motion on our devices, and we know it. And it's an easy thing to turn to. Um, but studies show that screen time can actually interfere with brain development in children under two. And that's why the Academy, Academy of Pediatrics or whatever recommends no screen time before the age of two because they actually have figured out that like certain synapses in their brain don't form if they're always you know, being um, on a screen. And at the, at the very least, that you would at least be conditioning your child to be constantly titillated with easy entertainment. One of my kids worked at McDonald's and he said, came home one day and he was like, wow, every family that comes through the drive-through, the mom is up front, you know, getting the food and, take, and the kids are all in the back seat on screens of various types. Like even in a car. Yeah, and at the grocery store, I often see like kids, you know, their moms are shopping and the kids are in the cart looking at a phone. I'm like, well, it's probably good to get bored in the shopping cart. And then you look around and you smile at the old man who walks by and you know, you're asking your mom questions about what she's buying. Like, those are good interaction things. And you put a phone in the kid's hand, and that's all they're doing. Um, settings, start setting boundaries when they're extremely young, and those will be easier to maintain as they grow older. Until their teens, we've had a rule in general that they get like 15 minutes of screen, like entertainment screen time a day. And even when they're older, and we don't set a limit that strict. The, ex the expectation is that we don't, we don't just camp out on our screens if there's work to be done. It's, you know, it's a recreation thing to be done after work is done. And of course, screen limits will be much easier to enforce if we ourselves are diligent in this area. Um, I had some conversations with some young moms recently and I was very impressed with some of the things that they are doing to ensure that their phones are not a distraction to their parenting. I know one um, mom who, her goal is for her children not to see her on her phone. So she does her emails and her texting and all that sort of thing, like when they're at nap time or on a quick trip to the bathroom because she doesn't, you know, she doesn't have the desire to have her kids see her on the phone. Another young mom I know traded in her smartphone for a flip phone so she can still communicate, but there's not that temptation to be absorbed into the world that's on her phone. Um, another one, um, set limits for the apps on her phone that are the most tempting to her. And let's say it was you know a 30 minute limit or something. And you can set that on most phones and you need a password to change it. And she gave the password to a friend of hers or like the friend set the password. So if she actually needs to break that 30 minutes, she has to call her friend and get the passcode. <laughs> so there's a lot of creative ways of doing that, and I'm not going to give you a set of rules to follow this much time, or these type of apps, or you gotta do this, you gotta do that. I'm just saying we need to think about what those women are doing. They're on the right track. We would do well to emulate them, and we can protect our children from a lot of the dangers of the internet if we are good examples before them about that. And really, we're the first generation of parents who even have to negotiate this. It's not easy, but protecting our kids against the need for constant entertainment and the nasty stuff on the internet too is a fairly sizable part of helping them be Christ followers in today's world. 
And a lot of people who would maybe congratulate themselves because their kids aren't looking at porn would have a hard time saying, well, they're not completely wrapped up, their life is wrapped up in what's on their phone for, in terms of entertainment. So those are kind of two different things. But we need to be very proactive. We're not, we can't just let the current take us in this because the current will take us into the direction we don't want to go. We actually have to make a plan and be purposeful about our decisions in that. And as I conclude here, I want you to know that virtually everything that I've spoken about here today, I learned because I failed in some degree in all these areas. My children are sinful, and so am I. And I fall short, and I have failed over and over again. But that is why I need Christ. And if we are smog and think we have all the answers, watch out. God will probably humble because we need to be in a position where we understand our need for Christ in this whole mom business. I need to rely on the Lord, and I want to be aware that I need to rely on the Lord in order to be a good mom. And over the years, I've learned that really the number one thing that I need to do to protect my kids is to pray for their salvation. And you might be saying to yourself, oh, now she's getting to the end of her talk and she's got to throw out the little Sunday school answer. This is not what I'm doing. I am serious. The number one thing that you can do for your kids to protect them is to pray for their salvation. Because if they become a believer, they will have the Holy Spirit in them. And he will protect them. And he will grow them spiritually to where they'll want to avoid evil, and run to good. There is nothing like having the Holy Spirit, and that should be our ultimate mom goal. So we can wear ourselves out trying to protect them and shield them and do whatever we think we should or shouldn't do, but what we really need to do first is get on our knees every single day and pray for their salvation. Ask Christ to save them. Write, if you keep a prayer journal, write it at the top. If you don't have a prayer journal, write it on a note card. Put it above the kitchen sink where you do the dishes all the time. Just have it in the forefront of your mind. Pray for your kids. Pray for your kids. God loves them more than you do. All right, let's, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have caused us to have this wonderful gift called children and we pray that you would help us be good stewards of them. We pray for wisdom. We pray that you would help us conquer our fear where we're fearful. We pray that you would give us discernment in knowing what to protect them from, what not to protect them from. And most of all, Lord, I pray that each one of the children represented by the mothers in this room would become a Christian, that you would call them to yourself, that they would have soft hearts, that they would love you, that they would grow up and never be able to turn away turn back and think of a time that they didn't love the Lord. We pray that you would raise up a generation of people who fiercely are devoted to you and that it would begin with the moms um, in this room. And we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Okay, great, great practical episode on this important topic. I'm so thankful for Adrian's real and honest view of protection, it isn't really completely black and white, is it? 
And we need to prayerfully look at our own hearts to see where are we trusting in ourselves and our plans or rules rather than trusting in God in this area. I love that she isn't teaching us to just not care about protection, like it doesn't really matter, but to prayerfully use wisdom as we make these decisions. And boy, I am struck by her final words to us all on how important it is to pray for our kids daily for all the areas of their lives. I actually just pulled a book off my shelf that I wanted to share with you. It's called Praying Scriptures for Your Children by Jody Burnt. Well, actually, I pulled the one off my shelf called Praying for Your Adult Children. <laughs> and I think these are really helpful to use as tools and guides as we pray for our kids and learn and think about all the different avenues and aspects of praying for them. I'm going to put those in our show notes. Don't forget to head over to our Facebook or Instagram pages called Women of the Word. Like or follow us there for some daily encouragement and some wisdom and more information about this podcast, our blog called Planted, more information also about our mom-to-mom ministry that happens once a month and our Regarding Him conference that's held yearly in March. There is so much great content there. You will not be disappointed. And as always, subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app or platform to get notifications so that you know when new episodes drop each and every Thursday. Hey, thanks so much for listening today. Remember, when everything around you is shaken, you can stand unshaken because of our rock and our fortress, because of God. Until next time.